Dr. Katrina Fury, a psychiatrist. And I'm Portia Pendleton, a licensed clinical social worker. And And this this is Analyze Scripts, a podcast where two shrinks analyze the depiction of mental health in movies and TV shows. Our hope is that you learn some legit info about mental Mm -hmm. health while feeling like you're chatting with your girlfriends. There is so much misinformation out there and it drives us nuts. And if someday we pay off our student loans or land a sponsorship, like with a lay flat airline or a major beauty brand, even better. So sit back, relax, grab some popcorn and your DSM-5 and enjoy. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. A lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer budget-friendly flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment the plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals so for whatever tomorrow brings united healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you learn more at uh1.com Hi, welcome back to another episode of Analyze Scripts with Portia Pendleton and Katrina Fury. We are two mental health professionals who will be taking you through right now um, the show you on Netflix. So this is our third episode and we will be talking about season two. Yes, we will. And boy, oh boy, is there a lot to talk about, Portia. It was hard to gather really what we wanted to say and not make it a three-hour episode. Mm So we're trying to pare it down. But we wanted to start off with um, kind of where we first see Joe. So Joe is now in L.A. Right. Um, Seems like maybe not a good fit for him. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, as you probably remember, if you've watched season one, it left off with Joe killing back, framing Dr. Nikki, um, and sort of getting out of town before anyone was the wiser. Uh, Beck's book was published posthumously and is all the rage. And um, I think Joe needed a fresh start, so no one would suspect him. So I think the very first scene we find him, we th- think Candace is dead. Like on the pavement, there's blood, and, and she's wearing an outfit we've seen her wear in, in other um, episodes, but then it turns out he's on a film set. And then we sort of quickly realize, oh, he's in LA now. And I had the same thought as you, Portia, like, oh, he's going to hate this. Mm-hmm. And I also was kind of like really excited to see how they depicted LA um, and and the culture there. And I thought they did a, a pretty good job, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a drama, you know, mm-hmm. so everything is a little bit, well, in some ways, maybe it is accurate, but, you know, from going to New York bookstore, like, mm. You know, coffee, um, I don't know, just like the walking, the the outfits, the the darkness a little bit. Right. And then LA, like, like the sunny. sunny, um the all of the organic produce Everything. and you know, it just seems like they did a really good job about and showing I, that. I loved how they named the market slash uh 
grocery store, a Navarin, uh, Nirvana backwards. I was just like, oh, like those are the, the little touches I feel like um, the creators of this show put in that I find so on the nose and hilarious. Um, so yeah, so we, we start off Joe, it looks like is trying to create a new life for himself and we quickly learn he's going by the name Will. And so my first question is what happened to the real Will? Mm -hmm. Is he dead? Is he alive? Like what's going on here? Um, and we, we quickly see that Will is in a cage. Yep. And somehow Joe has created another cage and a storage unit. Um, and I was like, oh gosh. Here we go again. Right. And I wanted to know, I mean, this was kind of an important question for me. Is that the same cage? Like, did he ship this? No. Did he make a new one? Because it's pretty, like, techy. I yeah. don't know. Like, it, you know, the perfect breathing holes and, like, the little thing that you pass food in through. It just seems right. very, I don't know, where. like, where do you get one of those? Right. Like, where do you get all the supplies? How do you build it? Um, you know, and Portia, one thing we didn't talk about last episode, um, which I do think is important, was his relationship with Mooney mm -hmm. and how it seems like Mooney put him in a cage. Yes. Uh, and so I wonder if he learned how to build these cages with Mooney. Um, and maybe at some future time we can dive more into that relationship. Uh, I don't think we'll have time today, but maybe someday when we have a Patreon, mm -hmm. um, we can like, release bonus content. Totally. <laughs> um, so we were trying to think before we got started today, who... Like, okay, who is Joe killed? Mm -hmm. I'm starting to lose track of all the people he's killed by the end of season two. Right. Um, and so then we expanded from, okay, who is Joe literally killed? Right. To... So, spoiler alert, <laughs> if you have not watched all of season two, please stop listening. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, we expanded from who is he literally killed to... Who did he almost kill? What relationships has he killed? Sort of. I, I like how you phrased it. Joe's path of destruction. Mm -hmm. um, and I think seeing Will in the cage right away sort of starts this this new path of destruction for season two. Right. And it really just is, you know, I mean, it, part of it is the drama. But, like, it's funny that things just happen to Joe. Right. So one of the first people he kills in season two is Jasper. So Jasper mm -hmm. is trying to get his money from Will. Um, I think he owes him like $50,000 and Jasper seems like not a guy that you mess with. He right. seems pretty um, scary. Yeah, he and, chops off Will's right, finger. And right. Which is like, shocking. <laughs> that did shock mm -hmm. me too. And then he's like, okay. Uh, and you can tell Jasper's done this before. Right. He's like, I'm going to put this on ice for you. You have X amount of time to get to this hospital with this doctor who will fix it. Mm -hmm. Get me my money. Right. Um, and then Will's kind of like, oh, no, mm -hmm. what do I do now? How am I going to come up with this money? Right. And at that point, he goes back to Will. Uh, I don't know if I just said Will said, oh, no, how am I going to get this money? Or Joe said it. But, like, it, the identities right. get confusing. Mm -hmm. So real Will. Joe goes back to real Will trapped in the cage. And um, Will gives him this code to text this person. And Joe's like, oh, phew. Like, I'm saved. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that Will has, I, I think, a bipolar disorder. Um, and he's he's having Joe go pick up some medication that he needs. Um, and by the time Joe does that and realizes, oh, this isn't the money I need, uh, he comes back to Will all angry, but with the medicine, and finds that Will um, is quite psychotic. He's, he's delusional. He's paranoid. Um, and I think that's when Will, uh, fake Will, Joe puts it together mm -hmm. that uh, Will really does need his medication. 
What did you think about that whole depiction of mental illness and bipolar disorder, Portia? I thought that it was really good and also like very pro if you take your prescribed Mm -hmm. um, medications at the right dose, like you're pretty okay. You know, you're really functioning. So I think, and I'm curious, like what Joe's perception of that was and that if that um, seeing the real will in that state helped the real will live, you know, like, right. um, Right. Um, mm. I agree with you. I thought it was a pretty good depiction of bipolar disorder and how quickly the symptoms could come back um, if you are not taking your medication and also how quickly the symptoms can sometimes improve once you restart the medication. I also thought it was interesting that somehow Joe knew to slip it into his food or his drink um, to get him to take it when he was paranoid and, and not trusting anything. And I think Real Will having given him the code name to go get the medicine sort of signaled to Joe that he wanted to take it. Mm-hmm. So then when Joe came back and he was in a delusional state of mind and refusing things, I think that gave Joe, I mean, not like Joe would ever be someone who needed permission to do anything to another human. Um, but I think that helps, you know, him figure out how to get the medicine into him. Right. And I, I think bipolar is one of those things that we throw around a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh my gosh, my mom's so bipolar. She, you know, said this and then she was in that, or like I had a mood shift. So I, you know, I'm experiencing bipolar and, you know, bipolar one is very serious and Mm -hmm. yes, it can be treated with medication and it's not, you know, the sentence of, you know, that your life is going to be over by any means, but it is a serious mental illness that requires, you know, Treatment. Taking your medications exactly. and therapy and and being really consistent with that. So um, I think it's just one of like, you know, OCD or um, a lot of the words that we throw around. But right. Colloquially, we just throw mm-hmm. it around like, oh, gosh, I'm about to get my period. I feel so bipolar right. or, or things like that. But it, you're right. It really is a, a, a serious mental illness characterized by discrete shifts and not only mood, but your behavior and your thought process. And I, so I thought they did a pretty good job mm-hmm. depicting that in pretty Quickly, too. Yep. Um, so eventually, Will actually decide. Uh, sorry, Joe actually decides <laughs> to let real Will go. I was shocked by that. I did not see that coming. No. I thought that he, he was even, like, kind of playing him to make him, and, and again, like, maybe because Joe is somewhere, what, I don't know if it was empathy or, or some maybe relating to it or connecting him with someone in the past, but like wanted him to believe that he would be let go or wanted, mm-hmm. you know, I'm walking on, I'm happy. I get hit on the back of the head and, yeah. you know, I, Joe kills me, but like I was happier or I thought that I would be out. That's what I was waiting for. Mm. So, you know, when he's actually out there, I was like, this is, you know, really risky for Joe who seems so methodical and careful in every other way and why why spare will right you've killed all these other people like why i think um i'm always impressed portia that you have such um you just really hold on to this shred of hope that there's some (laughs) empathy in joe somewhere Mm -hmm. and that he like is acting in a benevolent way and i just like don't agree uh i think but then i get sort of lost as to okay so then why did he let him go um i think again this is around the time he's starting a relationship with love and trying to be quote unquote different. Right. So I, I still feel like it's sort of fueling his own narcissistic ego. Like, see, 
I'm good. Right. People go. Right. I helped him. I gave exactly. him his medicine. Mm-hmm. I killed Jasper, who was after him. Look at me go. Now he's off and living his life, you know? Um, no, that's a good point. Because um, I think the whole first episode, and it and it is brief, but Joe really wants to be better. You know, he kind of like will look at love or, or I think I, I could be wrong. I know I've watched all of the seasons, you know, very quickly, but I feel like, you know, he's, do, he does it with someone else too. You know, he like looks at them and there's like this, Oh, and then, and he's like, Nope, 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 nope not this time. Yeah. So yeah. he initially tries to do that. He um, does with love. Right. Um, and they have that whole scene with the, does this peach look like a butt mm-hmm. sort of flirtation. Right. Um, and one thing that I was really hoping for going into season two was that it might set, shed some light on Joe's background and his childhood and upbringing. Again, I'm always curious about why do people become the people they are, and especially in TV and film, mm-hmm. always curious about how people portray that. And I was really excited that come to find we do learn a lot about his upbringing, which we'll talk about more later. But one thing I noticed right away is how similarly love and his mother joe's mother look just in physical appearance Mm -hmm. i thought that was a a good detail that they put in and even like i noticed beck his mom and love all sort of have this like romantic breathy voice and i thought that was a an interesting detail too and then was it karen season one yeah, the the normal girlfriend. Yeah. So it's like, and then she is so different, so you know, different. in her attitude, um, her personality. Like, she seems very direct and, like, mm-hmm. healthy. And, yeah. Um, what you see is what you get. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think we'll talk a little bit about sort of the similarities between Joe's mom, Beck, and uh, Love Quinn and why Joe might be attracted to that and what's in, you know, in them that might attract them to Joe is really interesting to mm-hmm. me. So kind of back to Joe's path of destruction. So, I, you know, this does kind of jump around a little bit. But we also, you know, um, Joe kills Henderson in season two. So Henderson is a comedian who we learn is, um, you know, a predator and mm-hmm. a um, rapist mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and preys on young women, um, some very young, like mm-hmm. um, the character Ellie right. in this show, as well as her older sister. But um, so, so Joe does kill Henderson. It is an accident, um, mm-hmm. but you know, another death. And I think too, with Henderson being a predator like that, um, that's like the first kill aside from Jasper, who was like after him. So you can kind of think like, okay, Jasper, maybe self-defense. Okay. Henderson, he's a bad guy. Does he deserve it? I don't know. I thought it was really interesting in this scene where he's got Henderson all like tied up. He's trying to film the confessional that, um, it comes out, you know, that, that is that Henderson himself had been, uh, sexually abused Mm -hmm. in childhood. Um, and he sort of picked up that something had happened to Joe and was they were going back and forth about that for a bit. Him, Henderson trying to say, you know, we're the same. We're the same. Nothing's ever going to help us. And that's when Joe really lost it. He, like, tears off his mask and um, then realizes, like, oh, no. Right. Now Henderson knows who I am. Right. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And it also depicts this theme of, you know, identifying with the aggressor that we often see in our work that can happen when people – um, when children are abused as kids, it can really skew 
your views of, of normalcy. And even if you don't want to end up like that parent, there's something, there's something to identifying with that parent. Right. You know, all kids want to identify with their parents and feel connected to them. And unfortunately that can be a way uh, where that develops. So again, I thought that was a really smart, um, accurate detail mm-hmm. to include that they didn't have to. Right. So I'm always impressed by stuff like that. And noticing we drew some parallels between Ellie and Paco. Mm -hmm. So Paco was season one. Again, like young child, um, very vulnerable. I thought it was interesting that Joe seemed to kind of form whatever you might call it, an alliance um, with Ellie earlier. So we both kind of see they're in this vulnerable position, Paco in season one, um, you know, witnessing mom and mom's boyfriend, um, violence there. Joe knew about it for the majority of the season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Ellie, it's like kind of immediately there. there's this something, right? Like it's a, I'm going to look out for you, protector. I'm aligning with you. I see myself in you. I... Um, I'm not sure what it is. I'm, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be this this guy that's helpful to people. Um, this is a part of my. I'm I'm good now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think again, so it's so nice you have such a optimistic <laughs> take on this. <laughs> I think he's just using these poor, vulnerable mm-hmm. um, youths who are at risk for his own gain entirely. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, sort of like flaunting that, you know, good guy thing in front of love Mm -hmm. and endears him to her. Um, And again, is there something where he identifies with these kids? Maybe, yeah. Um, But again, he's kind of similar to Paco. He's not really doing anything that could actually help her, Um, right? Like, he sort of is. I guess he takes a little more of an active stance by trying to convince her not to go to the the viewing parties or to stay away from this guy or, you know, things like that. But really he, you know, he, he breaks her phone, gets her a new one and puts tracking stuff on it. And it's just, it's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little, you know, there was a, there was a moment where I was, you know, I was a little worried that the show was taking a darker turn with like some, you know, predatory stuff with Ellie. I was too. And I think they, I bet they did that purposefully, mm-hmm. don't you think? Because I, I totally got that vibe pretty quickly. Um, and her sister Delilah was not having it. You know, Delilah mm-hmm. was, you know, and I think Delilah, I, I'd be interested to know her background. It seems mm-hmm. like you know they're they're on their own, so there's not you know parents in the in the picture there for for either of them. But you know, Delilah is very um, good at protecting herself currently we learned that you know that she was a victim Mm -hmm, of henderson Henderson prior to that but she's you know she's very in charge and you know is it like a powerful woman which is why Mm -hmm. i'm surprised that beck or um that joe and her you know kind of get together later in the episode um or in the season when him and love are on a break right well and we do find out some of their background Mm -hmm. remember they ellie and joe were talking um, or maybe it was Ellie and Love. I forget which one exactly. Maybe it was Love. And she shared that. I think their mom left and then their dad got sick and died. Mm. I don't know how old Delilah was when all that happened, but clearly Ellie was really young. And so again, just Ellie is had so much abandonment, um, is a word you could use to describe, yeah. you know, those types of losses so early on. And then to lose her sister is just devastating right. for her. Um, that, yeah, that was really sad. I mean, I really, 
I feel like, at, you know, season one with Paco, it's like, you know, him and his mom are hopefully first start. Like, hopefully they both do really good work and mom remains sober and and Paco can talk about, you know, Joe and therapy and, and, and be so. okay. But, you know, I was really sad for Ellie kind of at the end of season two where it's just like she is alone. She's alone. And, it, and it's so, like, again – icky to me that you know he does sort of like send her off he doesn't kill her but then she's reliant on the very person who took away her sister yeah that's a setup for attachment issues i mean relationship issues trust issues you know and it's just such ongoing abuse of ellie um But again, another way for Joe to feel like good about himself, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like this is his redemption or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of continuing in in Joe's path. So Delilah is dead. Forty is dead. Um, Will's, you know, identity (laughs) is dead. The real Will will is alive. Um, Candace is dead. Um, uh, Milo Milo was almost dead killed by joe um mm-hmm. relationships that were ending you know ellie's is destroyed um obviously love and 40 which t- twin relationships are very unique um that was really intense right so that relationship was over milo and love's relationship is over it was just a lot of destruction yeah. you know both physical emotional mm-hmm. identity financial like ever yeah. so much destruction We did want to spend some time talking about the Quinn family in particular. What did you think of of these characters, Portia? I'm so curious to hear. They were, I mean, so intense in all of their own ways. Like, I think they just, and again, like, it's a it's a show, so we, it should mm-hmm. be that way. Like but exaggerated. It was, I, I really liked Forty. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything was so clear with him. You know, mm-hmm. like, he's this adult child who mm-hmm. never, you know, if we even just talk about, like, no clear boundaries or, or poor kind of expectations of your kids, not really kind of encouraging them to, to, to go, you know, leave the house, mm-hmm. really dependent mm-hmm. relationships. So 40 is kind of this adult child who, you know, believes that he killed the au pair and is living with that. Um, there's probably some shame from that relationship, that sexual relationship mm-hmm. with the au pair prior to him believing that he killed her. Um, his substance use then mm-hmm. followed that, you know, mm-hmm. him trying to kind of stay sober, also being wealthy and kind of living in those circles where drugs and alcohol are at your beck mm-hmm. and call. Um, you you have access to all of these things. You can also get away with a lot. So right. there's really not any lessons being learned. There's no any accountability. Right. So so it's just kind of the perfect setup for for how he is the way he is. Yeah. And I thought, again, the writers did a really good job depicting these family dynamics. We don't get to know the parents a whole lot in season two. We get to know the mom a lot more in season three. But I I found, you know, we did go to, I think, their vow renewal, which, mm-hmm. like, immediately to me screamed, like, phony. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, something you'd see on, like, The Real Housewives, yes. like, six months <laughs> before they call it quits. You know, just big, over the top, a lot of attention. And then, of course, 40 ruins it. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that's sort of, like, his role in the family. Yep. Um, you know, so I found the dad, I, I forget if they told us what dad did to make all his money, but somehow he's a bajillionaire. Um, and you get the sense right away, dad is very cold, dismissive, unavailable. 
um, has really specific expectations for his kids. I think wants them sort of in his own image. And so having a son like 40, who's different from him, I don't think really flies. Yeah. And you can see even in the limited interactions, how 40s trying over and over to win his dad's approval and affection and just never getting it. Right. And so that really sets the stage for a lifetime of, you know, inner insecurity and, and looking to people outside yourself for validation mm-hmm. and to sort of fill up your self-esteem. And it doesn't, it doesn't quite work. And, um, you know, again, we don't know a lot about mom from early on. She seems a little warmer, but then, you know, I thought Portia you described both parents in a good way as like fake woke, um, you know, trying to be like hip to the hip to the times, but you know, mm. like not really woke. Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that they had, they hired this au pair and it was clear that, you know, parents weren't really around a lot for the twins growing up. Um, I think in later in season three, or maybe it's in season two when, you know, they're all in the hotel and Joe and 40 are going through that acid trip. Love sort of refers to her and 40 as accessories for her parents. I thought that was actually like right on the nose, like, you know, exactly. I think the parents see their twins as narcissistic extensions of themselves Mm -hmm. rather than their own individual people. And that's really messed them up. And then when, you know, parents weren't around to protect them from this au pair, we think 40's the one who accidentally murdered her. Then at the very end, we find out that was Love's first murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sort of really, I, you know, really, I didn't see that coming. Right. I mean, neither of them clearly have a secure attachment, Love or Quinn, um, Love or 40. So. Right. Um, a secure attachment means that you have healthy relationships, like positive intimacy, you communicate effectively. And the biggest one is like autonomy. So you mm-hmm. can kind of go out into the world, have a secure sense of self and feel like you will be okay. Right. Um, and it's kind of, you know, the parents are the ones who ideally model that for mm-hmm. um, their kids and kind of, you know, are always there to catch them. If they fall. Right. right. But so, they encourage you like, you know, go, yep. go try climbing on those monkey bars. If you fall, I'll be right here, but you can do it. That right. sort of thing. Not just like totally checked out. Exactly. Or being too like, don't try. Right. Don't try. Or you know, keeping someone too close. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought the Quinn, fa- just all the family dynamics really represented attachment issues mm-hmm. really, really well. And you find, you know, with 40, he goes on, like you said, to sort of be like this failure to launch adult mm-hmm. child, financially dependent on the parents um, to a big degree with um, some substance use issues, which unfortunately we see can happen yeah. in cases like this. He um, feels more anxious, um, like anxious attach mm-hmm. attachment than love. Love kind of feels more anxious avoidant, kind of mm-hmm. the mix of both, Need you know, wanting the intense intimacy and then like having a rejection um, mm. Kind of pushing someone away. Forty's just very anxious. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wants a partner. It sounds like the parents even make a comment about Candace, who has inserted herself into Forty's mm. life, <laughs> um, as you know, just another one of these, you know, kind of dim-witted whatevers that are kind of the flavor of the month. And, and it feels like Forty really wants you know, a partner who's going to be there for him. I think he, people probably have used him, mm, you know, for his money. Right. Exactly. Drugs and stuff. Yeah. hundred percent. And he falls quickly. They both do. Yeah. Quinn, yep. uh, Quinn. both Quinn's yes. love and 40 fall quickly. And I think the fact that they're twins and you just think about, you know, the, the closeness of that 
relationship from the womb. Right. And then the fact at the end that love really like chooses Joe over him. Mm-hmm. It's it we'll get into that a little later, I think, as we get more toward the end. Yeah, I mean I was I felt like really kind of upset when love's mom slapped her. Mm-hmm. Like that was just a moment where I was like, wow, like this is, you know, this is why love is the way she is to be blamed. You know, mom was blaming her for forties relapse, you know, mm-hmm. which is just so inappropriate. So I mean, first of all, they're adults right. like period. And also like, that's not a sibling's role. Right. That's not, and, and at a certain point it's no one's role. Right. Right. Um, but you can just tell yeah. that she has been, um, tasked with being forties keeper, mm-hmm. right? Like she murders the au pair and they have a very codependent relationship. She's very worried about him. That's one thing she, I think, loves about Joe is that he's open to, like, bringing Forty along for the ride. Um, yeah, so I think seeing mom slap love was really shocking and, again, tracks. And then for me, after the acid trip, when somehow, like, love and her mom are in the hotel or in a different hotel, remember, mm-hmm. or something. They went to dinner or something. Yep. Um, and love is like really distraught. She's really intoxicated. She's asking, um, the mom something like, how do you, how do you love your kids when they hurt you or disappoint you or like something along those lines. And this quote just shook me to my core when love's mom says, one day you'll have kids when they need you, like you need me right now. It's not so hard to love them. And I just thought that was so like love is conditional yes Mm -hmm. and manipulative and sending the message like i'll only love you if you need me and you're hard to love i just thought like gosh they've been raised with this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. oh but then on the outside you know i think they play into this mom Mm -hmm. you know has this instagram or or you know this this online following where she's so warm and like Mm -hmm. you know that I, i think you know, her followers would be shocked that she yeah. is the way she is, really. Right. Um, and, you know, love, they do financially support love and 40 yep. and get them out of their jams. And I think that's sort of, again, the toxic bind of these relationships. Yes. That and that's hard to break. Very Financial hard. control. Yes. It's another form of abuse, yep. though, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, keeping you on the hook financially. Yep. And, and sometimes I think like the... In this case, love and 40, I would imagine somewhere they think they're owed this. Mm -hmm. Like, well, they, mom and dad did all this awful stuff to us. So this is the least they can do. And, you know, you're like, yeah, but it's also a way that they keep you, keep control Mm -hmm. over you and keep messing Mm -hmm. you up. Um, So for them to really like, you know, break free from these traumatic, uh, toxic relationships. Like if these were my patients, I would work with them on, you know, finding the confidence to walk away and support themselves on their own. That would take a really long time. I think Yeah, that would be ultimately healing. Um, Cause you have to, you know, work with what you can change. Like, and I talk about this all the time with patients and it's so, you know, hard and unfortunate, but you can't change other people right. like responses or you can't make them give you what you need. Right. And you have to change your expectations. It's you so have hard. to change your environment. You have to change what you ask for people to do. Like, right. or ultimately, which is, you know, one of the hardest things you can do is walking away. Right. And, and I, I agree. I see this a lot and it's, it's one of the hardest things I think in therapy, but also one of the most helpful things mm-hmm. is, is working with people to really accept 
And it comes up a lot with parents, you know, sort of accept the parents you have, yeah. the good and the yeah. bad, you know, not really see it as all good or all bad and decide for yourself mm-hmm. what can you tolerate, yeah. what can you not, and to reframe your own expectations and then simultaneously grieve the loss of the parents you wish you had, which is so mm-hmm. hard. It's so hard. And takes so long. It does take a yeah. long time. But, you know, hopefully that's where good quality therapy can be really Mm -hmm. helpful. And it's unfortunate that the Quinn family with all their resources didn't access any type of therapy meaningfully, you know, and, and, but again, it's like, "Eh, that kind of tracks, you know, the parents probably think there's nothing wrong with them. It's all the kids. Right. Um, So that's, that's just really tough. Yeah. I'd love to see them all sitting down, you know, with like a rock star family therapist. And (laughs) because, you know, I think dad would, Immediate, like he, you know, he a he wouldn't want to be there, be and there. I think he would have a meeting. Yeah, be too busy. He, he wouldn't show probably, and mm-hmm. if he did show, you know, he would be very, I think, kind of almost like aggressive at putting mm-hmm. it on others, or he would be very performative. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm this wonderful dad. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how you know it's and really manipulate the situation perfectly to somehow align the therapist with himself. Right. Yeah. I totally. Um, I think agree. mom would be really good again at being performative and somehow exactly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then forty would be the. Uh, scapegoat yep Mm -hmm. and love is kind of the golden child Mm -hmm. if we're thinking about it in like the narcissistic family system where you often think like one parent has more narcissistic traits the other has more enabling Mm -hmm. traits and then oftentimes the children can fall into a role of like golden child the perfect one who the parents vicariously live through see as an extension of themselves then there's often the scapegoat or the bad one Mm -hmm. again people with these personality types really struggle if not are incapable of seeing the gray like seeing good and bad Mm -hmm. so even their kids get split into all good or all bad and then if there's another kid they're just neglected yeah it's usually like a neglected Mm -hmm. lost forgotten child Mm -hmm. um so we didn't see that here because there's only two kids but Mm -hmm. again it was like wow they did a really good job depicting this yeah um over time i was really impressed by that yeah it felt really real it did Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, you know, that's our that's our little attachment lesson for the day. Um <laughs> so kind of diving back into I guess the story is so Joe, you know, and Love get together. Then there's a um, a rift. I think Joe gets caught in a lie. Um, yes, his identity. They figure out um, he's not Will. Mm-hmm. Because Love catches Candace in a lie at the retreat or that the wedding yes. vows thing. Yes, yes. And then, uh, but again, it seems like, and she does say like that she's done this before. Like, again, mm-hmm. they have all these resources. She, and, you know, Candace, I mean, is really uh, using 40. It's not because of his money, but she is using him. To and that's probably happened before. To hurt Joe. Yep. And again, it's like Candace, you know, we always saw as a victim up until this point. And now she's sort of doing a little bit of what Joe did to her, like his payback. Mm-hmm. And then also under the guise of protecting other people, which I, I, I do buy to a point until you're like, Girl, just call the police. Mm -hmm. But then we see she's had prior experiences with law enforcement that were completely ineffective. Right. When she, like, crawled out of the grave, Mm -hmm. right, and went to the police, like, clearly disheveled. Correct. Dirt all over her, like, scrapes all over her, clearly distraught, and is saying, like, 
my boyfriend tried to bury me alive. And I thought this was a really accurate depiction of how victims of whether it's domestic violence or stalking or what have you can often be treated mm-hmm. where basically the cop was like, do you got proof? Yeah. Where's the proof? Do you have a- photos, videos? And you're like, and then the advice was kind of, you know, I, and I think the cop was probably <laughs> burned out and frustrated with the system themselves. You yeah. know, I, I feel like, cause they kind of were like, honestly, you just should kind of move on, forget about this and like change your identity, like right. run away, you know, be someone else. Let him, let him keep thinking that you're dead. Right. And again, um, you're like, that is mm-hmm. good advice because, you know, unfortunately the system is, is broken in that way. Um, but again, I thought it was a great depiction of that type of interaction that I'm sure a lot of people have had. And again, makes you think like, oh, maybe this is why she's mm-hmm. not calling the police. She's trying to take matters into her own hands. But I was worried for her this whole season. Yeah. I was like, you are playing with fire. Right. You're getting way too close. And this is where I, you know, I'm not going to say or pretend that I knew love was the way she was, but I feel like you started to get hints. Mm-hmm. Like when she, you know, follow or was waiting for Candace because she had hired the people to follow Candace and then she knew that she was going to Joe's apartment. So she's kind of sitting there waiting for her. Mm-hmm. And then Candace tells her this whole story um, about Joe. Love is upset and, you know, is very a little bit maybe unsettled, scared. I don't know. Um, and then confronts joe and they mm-hmm. and then he becomes joe yeah. um but and i was so worried that love confronted joe all on her own i was like you find out this information and you talk to him about it alone i think like in his apartment mm-hmm. like not even in a public place like that just made me so nervous for her a little tip for anyone out there thinking about confronting someone about something like this never do it alone do it in public. Tell others. Tell others where you're going. And exactly what is going exactly on. Exactly what's mm-hmm. going on. Have someone waiting for you, like, right out there. Maybe the police, if you trust them. But, like, that is so dangerous. Like, never, ever, ever do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, There's a lot of moments like that in this yes. show. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but so you were saying, uh, again, the character of love, amazing. Yeah. She only gets more amazing mm-hmm. in season three. But in this season, I think you you start by thinking, like, oh, here we go again with Beck. This yep. is, like, another one. Like, she's none to the wiser. Um, you know, he sort of quickly gets She's vulnerable. She's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right. You hear about her first marriage and how her husband died. And that's, like, a really endearing, heartwarming mm-hmm. story. And then right. things start to shift. And I was just like, oh. Oh my gosh. And it really is all, I mean, there's so many things happening at the same time in like the last, maybe like you know, three or four yeah. episodes. Yeah. So there's the, the storyline of, um, right. Delilah. So oh, like Delilah yes. finds the cage. Joe puts her in the cage. I think that's a very interesting thing. I, I am really curious if love had not killed her, would Joe have let her go? Mm. I think it literally could be 50, 50. I, mm. I think he wants to, because he wants Ellie to not be alone. I don't, or maybe he wants to, but you know, then I'm just being go Joe again with my (laughs) empathy. Um, But I think, I don't think he really wants to kill Delilah. Like, I think he wants there to be a way where he doesn't have to do it. Right. Um, I think so too. And with like the handcuff mm -hmm. thing, you kind of see that. Yep. Um, And how worried he was after coming out of the acid trip about did he or did he not? He really wanted it to be that he hadn't. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that's a great question. I think we could do a whole episode on our theories about yeah. whether he would have let her out or not. Right. So, so that's all kind of coming out. Then there's the sideline of the Henderson suicide now being ruled a homicide. Ellie is in trouble. Mm-hmm. So she's in trouble. Um, Joe is kind of putting these pieces together with if he should go. He writes, you know, love the letter because he is leaving because mm-hmm. he doesn't want it to end, you know, mm-hmm. poorly. And then there's the story of um, Forty has written this script <laughs> based on and Beck's book, of based course. on Beck's book, lo- figures out Candace. right yeah. and helped by Ellie figures out that it was the X while they're on this acid yep. trip. <laughs> so he goes to visit Doctor Nikki. So it's like all of these things oh. are kind of simultaneously happening. Um, that then you know it's just like boom, 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 all over the place. Yes. But and let's talk a little bit about when Forty goes to see Doctor Nikki because mm-hmm. I was a always love seeing John Stamos on my screen, even if he is behind bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of glad we got to see Dr. Nikki again. And I didn't expect that, but just to see like, how's he hanging? Yeah. Um, so what were your thoughts about, about that? I feel like I wasn't, not that I wasn't surprised, but I feel like it wasn't shocking that he kind of is taking the stance where he is like atoning for his sins. Yeah. Like he, you know, at first he's like, who's 40? Like, I don't even know. Like, I'm, I, he seems like he's not talking to I anyone. I think 40 paid yeah. someone yep. off to get to talk to him. Right. So he's, you know, Dr. Nikki is aware that there's all these other theories out there. Right. He's also aware that he's innocent in that regard because he did not kill right. um, Beck. So I think as 40's starting to show him the picture of Joe, yeah. he's like, whoa, like this is concrete. This is... Right. You know, he's remembering him as a patient who was not Joe. Right. Um, and he is – does he give him – he tells him something, right? Like he – or he confirms. He's like – yeah, he's like – You should get your sister away from him, right. I think, and is he's the like, message. I, I'm not going to talk to him. Yeah. I have to go. Yep. But like, yeah, I thought Dr. Nikki, again, was a good depiction of someone who is incarcerated. You can tell he's been there a while. He probably will stay in there a while. It sounds like he's – found religion or some higher Mm -hmm. power to help him process and sort through his own actions. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a nice depiction of someone who, like you said, is feeling, it seemed like genuine remorse. You know, he's saying like, yeah, no, I didn't kill Beck, but I did a lot of other bad things. Mm -hmm. This wasn't the first patient who I crossed that line with. It destroyed my family. I'm I'm where I deserve to be. Mm -hmm. Like he seems like scared of himself where we've never seen Joe have that level right. of regret or remorse in any way. Um, and it was really shocking for um, 40 to put mm-hmm. together that it was Joe. And then I thought, like, how terrifying. But by that point, love's, love's too far in. Love is in. She's in. And I think this is kind of at the part, right, where we figure out why she's in. Like, she's not in because she's another Beck. She's in because she, she is. is Joe. Yeah. <laughs> and when I when we figured this out, I, I immediately thought of that movie Wedding Crashers. And that, and I was like, why am I thinking of this movie? But there was a quote that Rachel McAdams, her character, was trying to give at the wedding for her sister. And it was, like, really corny. And I don't think she got it right. But the quote was, true love is the soul's recognition of its counterpoint in another and i thought that's love and joe yeah they are the same and then i started to feel like is love worse who's who's worse i don't know and i think that's sort of where season two leaves you is you're really Mm -hmm. like so much happens those last two episodes i love this series like the first episode the last episode could be like a movie in themselves like so much happens and they do such a good job 
yeah, I was shocked to, you know, and then it all makes sense. But like, I was shocked when you see love, you know, slit Candace's throat. You're shocked to see then the replay of love slitting Delilah's throat. I mean, it's also so violent, like so passionate, which is different from Joe. Yes. Lots of emotion. Um, not it, planful, you no, know. Yeah, and I thought they they do a, a really good job depicting this. Both like every all all the creative people behind this, the actresses and actors included, where, and I think we see this more and more in season three as more bodies line up. But how when love kills, it seems less planned, more passionate, more impulsive, and she seems to have some degree of like regret or shock. Where Joe, I think, is more meticulous. It's thought out. It's um, calculated. Cold. It's cold. He doesn't have as much uh, shock and things like that. And uh, I think as season two and especially season three go on, I feel like in the moments, love gets more and more like quasi-psychotic. Almost like a break from reality. Like she doesn't know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She can't I, stop. She can't stop. Um, and it, like afterwards, she tries to justify it in this delusional way. I think we see that a lot in season three, which we'll talk about next time. Um, but I thought they did a good job of that. And it started making me think about, you know, again, their personalities. And like mm-hmm. if I was, you know, tasked with evaluating them or treating them, how might I conceptualize that? Sure. Um, and so we had started talking about, you know, what's the difference between narcissism, sociopathy, and psychopathy? And I think even professionals in the field have a hard time teasing out these subtle differences. Um, I know I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do, too. I'm by no means an mm-hmm. expert in this. I'm not, you know, a forensic uh, psychiatrist or anything, right. but it's the, also not something that comes across a lot our of, desks, right, right? So, like, right. we're not doing medical evaluations for people right. who are, you know, um, in the criminal use, justice right, system exactly. or something like that. We, I think we do, we hear a lot about and and do maybe work with, but a lot of people's interactions with someone who is, you know, narcissistic that yes. feels more more common at home, mm-hmm. right? And like, so the way I've I've thought about it is, you know. When we think about personality development in the field, we have these clusters of personalities, cluster A, cluster B, cluster C. Um, And then within those clusters, there's sort of these common personality types. But again, people are complex and unique and people rarely fit into like one bucket of a personality. So I think perhaps that's why, you know, DSM people and, and all the people who decided like, what are the diagnoses keep these clusters? Um, to sort of say, you know, people could have traits of this and a little trait of that. Some people are slam dunk this, but a lot of people have traits of a, a bunch of different things. So under cluster B personality disorders, like we talked about last time with Peach, we have borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and then antisocial personality disorder. I think those are the three main ones mm-hmm. in that cluster. And so, you know, I'm sure in future, uh, episodes, we will talk more about borderline personality disorder. We won't talk about that as much today, but narcissistic personality disorder is certainly something I would imagine we both see in private practice. Um, I see a lot of people who are dealing with people in their family or their mm-hmm. partners, right. parents, or um, partners, bosses, yep. you know, whatever, whatever, who have these traits. Um, so that is a lot of what we're seeing in Joe that we pick up on really quickly, sort of this like, you know, 
putting themselves up on a pedestal or, or having to, um, having these grandiose ideas and delusions about like unlimited power, mm-hmm. or love, real lack of empathy, um, seeing things in black or white, really devaluing people and then idealizing them and, and really seeing people as objects, like yep. using them. So again, I think the Quinn parents are also good depictions of that. Mm-hmm. And then this antisocial personality disorder, we certainly see in both, I mean, almost like all the characters, but especially in, in love and, um, and Joe. And so the way I think of antisocial personality disorder, you know, that's, where someone knows the difference between right and wrong and crosses the line anyway. Um, and it's not due to, I know you, you kind of just said this, but it's not due to like a lack of awareness. Right. Cause I think a lot of people can appear to have, you know, no regard for other people's emotions who might, you know, struggle more with like, not specifically autism or, right, dis- right. or autism spectrum disorder, but almost sometimes even like ADHD, like you're just, mm-hmm. you, you're kind of missing these cues and that's, yes. that's not this. That's not this. <laughs> exactly. That's a really good point, Portia, that um, with these sort of personality disorders or, or traits, you, you always want to rule out other conditions that could be contributing um, whether it's like a neurodevelopmental condition, a substance use disorder, a medical condition, things like that, that affect people's judgment. But for antisocial personality disorder, this is, you know, people know the difference between right or wrong. They cross the line anyway. And again, this is like, you know, have we all realized we had a pack of gum in our pocket at Walmart we forgot to pay for? Yeah. But we don't then like become Joe Goldberg, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is where I think this show in particular can like highlight these flavors and and the progression really Mm -hmm. well. Um, And so I know one thing we wanted to talk a little bit about is like, what do you think about love and Joe? And I think like underneath the umbrella of antisocial personality disorder, we think about sociopaths and psychopaths. And those are, again, words we use a lot in our culture, um, kind of throw around kind of like the bipolar word we Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, but like, what is the difference, right? Like, how do you, how do you know? Um, so that was one thing I thought we could spend a little time talking about. Again, I'm not an expert here. I I don't, you know, see a lot of this professionally, but the way I try to think about it is, you know, people with sociopathic traits, I think of this as a spectrum, you know, a lot of people with antisocial personality disorder also have narcissistic traits, but not everyone with narcissistic traits has antisocial behaviors or traits, right? So I kind of think of narcissism as, is like on the far left. And if you keep going, sociopathy is like in the middle. And then at the very far end is psychopathy, right? So we think of sociopaths as, again, people who, um, I think of love as falling more in this category. But again, then she starts murdering people. So she goes right on into the psychopath category. But people with sociopathic traits or personality types know the difference between right and wrong, cross the line anyway, and get a thrill or enjoyment out of getting one over on someone. Um, you know, so... It's someone who doesn't really have empathy for how other people feel. They often behave impulsively and hot-headedly, um, and they often get caught. So I remember in my training, someone saying that, you know, the easiest way to think of it is like a sociopath is more likely to get caught because they behave too impulsively and passionately, and they don't think about it ahead of time to clean up their tracks, where a psychopath is less likely to get caught because they do think about it. And then they think about how do you clean it up and then how do I get it over on the people trying to investigate? So, you know, someone who like murders someone and then shows up to... I like that. I think that's very easy to yeah. kind of 
hold or separate. Yeah. Yep. You know, okay. so someone who like murders someone then shows up for like the search to sort of, again, kind of get that thrill inside. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, none of these people know I did it. And also be like, look, I'm helping. I'm so good. Um, so that's kind of like the main way I think of that. Um, and also people with more sociopathic traits tend to have some capacity for emotional attachments, but it's difficult. So it's often very few, whereas people with psychopathic traits rarely form any genuine emotional attachments. Um, and psychopaths are more likely to maintain uh, a normal life from the outside because they're so cold and calculated and callous. Whereas sociopaths really struggle to maintain work-life balance because they're behaving more impulsively, passionately in the moment. And then they're like, oh my God, how do I clean this up? I didn't plan for this. I can't go to work today, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Um, yeah. So I think that's sort of interesting. And in thinking of that, I, I think of love more in the sociopath side than, yeah. than Joe more yeah. on the psychopath side. Although murder is really like a really, that's a pretty clear line you don't cross, I think, you know? Yeah, that's I I really like that. No, that difference. Um, It helps me like frame it much easier and also (laughs) help me understand why I don't have such optimism about Joe and his like regard for the young. Right. Um, Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out also in season three. Right. Well, so let me ask you this. And this is kind of like at the end of season two. So why does Joe not continue to go through and murder love, even though she says she's pregnant. Yes. Like, because I would say what is Mm. there that makes him not kill her? I mean, that's a piece of him. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. What were you going to say? I want to hear your optimistic. Um, No, I think that's true. Like, I think, I think it's almost like a chance for him. And I don't know if this is empathy, but like a chance for him to like save himself or like to be now this parent who's he never had. Right. Yeah, totally. I think so. And I also think love bringing it up then was manipulative, but also life saving. So, you know, you gotta, um, but yeah, I think, right. The fact that he didn't kill her because of the baby, I think is, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, a piece of him inside of her Mm -hmm. that he can't kill himself. Like he he can't do that. Um, because that would be like annihilating his own self. Mm -hmm. And again, it's this, this way of like doing it better and proving he's good, just like he's tried to do with Paco and Ellie, but royally screwed up. Right. Right. And I think what we really just take away from season two as a whole is we get so much more information background on Joe. Like, so, you know, we get so much more background on all of these main characters, which really helps explain them. And it's zero, you know, zero surprises that Joe has significant abandonment, attachment, trauma, history. Like, that is why people kind of typically develop into the way they are in, in, you know, these areas. There's, there's usually some source of trauma. But again, kind of like how we were saying, you know, most people with antisocial traits have narcissistic traits, but not all people with narcissistic Correct. traits have antisocial traits. I would say, you know, most people like Joe will have a history like this, but not everyone with a history like 100%. this turns out like Absolutely. Joe. You know, there's a lot of There's people. something there. There's an extra layer. There's, there's something. Some, there's yep. some other attachment mm-hmm. figure. There's some sort of um, internal resilience 
that can lead to post-traumatic growth. Absolutely. Um, and I'm sure we will we will see that depicted, I hope, in future shows. Not this one so much. Yeah. Um, but we'll definitely talk about more right. uh, in the future. But I totally agree. The way they depicted his background, again, is like perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. You know, the fact that he, you know, his mom was being abused. They try, I think they tried to leave. And then he was left like at the beach and stuff mm-hmm. well she'd go off and do who knows what with the men and then eventually he killed i think bio dad yeah. um I, I couldn't remember if it was bio dad or stepdad but he eventually killed someone to protect his mom and then mom takes yeah. him to the group home and that's such a rejection because <sighs> i think so many and you know there's it's not like this is a norm which is wonderful but like people kids do do quote unquote horrible things in childhood as a way to survive right and if you can offer and if they are then met with um validation support um with a caregiver who then is able to to frame it as a way that's like yeah. positive i right. guess or or really teach them um, and, and again, obviously it's, it's all through attachment, but that, that turns things around, you it's know, totally and when you different. don't get that, that's when typically these things emerge right. versus, you know, bad things happen all the time to kids, which is really terrible and unfortunate, but a reality. And most kids are wildly resilient. Most yes. kids grow up and can have relationships with others right. and are, you know, functioning adults. Yeah. Like I wish mom would have gone to therapy with Joe, little mm-hmm. bit, little kid Joe, Yeah, you know, instead of dropping him off. I don't, I don't think she was capable of that. Um, and, and this is, these are hard cases, right? Because sometimes right. for the safety of everyone in the home, a placement is needed. Um, but that was really heartbreaking yeah. to see at the end. So um, why don't we end with, as of, at the end of season two, what, what are you recommending treatment wise for, and we'll do, you know, we'll keep it short. How about Ellie? Cause she's alive oh and not everyone's alive here. So Ellie, Love and Joe. Joe, um, unfortunately I have very pessimistic views that he can ever be. Uh, I think like incarceration. I think so. I think he, yeah. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of treatment available for antisocial personality disorder to this degree. So it really is about incarceration or keeping them away from right. the general public. Um, and he is so manipulative and charming that he's like really dangerous. He's mm-hmm. like a Ted Bundy, I think, honestly. Mm-hmm. So incarceration, I hate to recommend that, but or on like a locked psychiatric right, unit right. kind of thing. Yep. Um, love. Oh, I wish love like as a teen had gotten some really good DBT. Um, so dialectical behavioral therapy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we will talk more and more about that. Um, you had wanted to mention the the scene with Gabe. And the sort of quote unquote spiritual healing he did with Joe. Yeah, so it looked, it was like kind of a mishmash between like acupuncture and like maybe Reiki, some like kind of energy work that Gabe was was doing. Really LA. Right. And I think what I, what I, what ideally, and this would benefit love, right? So a DBT skill that's really useful is um, it's just and statement. So it's being able to really hold two things at the same time. And I use this all the time for Mm -hmm. especially um, working with eating disorders. It's like, you know, how can you, validate the feeling so i right now and you know i'm using eating disorders as an example right now i hate my body and And. i am eating this food right now because i know 
via facts that this is what's nutritionally um, going to help me. So it's right. like both. I can hold both. We don't need to do one or the other. We right. are trying to get away from black and white thinking. Get away from splitting. Um, right. We're exactly. just trying to hold multiple emotions at and once. distress tolerance. Exactly. It, with DBT, you know, with DBT, I think the main tenants are you know like distress tolerance, uh, mentalization, mindfulness, yes, emotion um, regulation, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness. Interpersonal effectiveness, like love, could benefit from all of these yeah. things. Um, everyone in this series could benefit yeah. from all these things, but I wish she would have gotten it way earlier at this point. I still think she could benefit from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she again has killed people. So she, like, I think like justice is important. Right. She should also probably be on a locked psychiatric unit. I think there's more hope for her, mm-hmm. at least at the end of season two. Yeah. Um, where maybe some intensive DBT, like I'm even thinking like act therapy acceptance. Yeah, some meds. Some I think medication. everyone could maybe benefit from. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about Joe. I just feel like he's yeah. a lost cause. Well, maybe and like then, a sedative for Joe. Just go to sleep. Yeah. And, just and then Ellie, out. like Ellie, just needs oh, she needs to like align good, with a caregiver. Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah, Ellie. I just want her to like have a really good caretaker, mentor, and also do like intensive yes. trauma therapy. Also with some DBT, um, she might need some medication if she's feeling depressed or anxious which why wouldn't she be after Mm -hmm. going through all this she needs like some grief work i mean she needs a whole heck of a lot i'm not really confident she'd get it yeah i feel like she's kind of like a runaway Mm -hmm. trying to evade cps at this point joe probably gave her like a fake identity and i I really worry she's going to go down a bad road yeah so i think that really sums up as much as we could about season two (laughs) there was a lot and there's so much more we could talk about Thanks, everyone, especially our moms and our, our close friends um, for for listening. And next time we will talk about season three ahead yeah. of the season four premiere. Yes, I'm excited up. for that. All right. Sounds good. All right. And well, thanks for listening. And make sure to like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram and um, rate us. Yes, I think we're supposed to say rate, review and subscribe. And our Instagram is Analyze Scripts. And you can email us at analyzescriptspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and hear if there's any other shows or movies you want us to take a look at. And um, more social media to be announced as soon as we create it. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, guys. Dr. Fury here with a quick addendum to this episode. I just wanted to point out when we were talking about real Will and the depiction of his bipolar disorder, I just wanted to add um, an important piece of clarification here. In this show, they depict Will as suffering from bipolar disorder, and the symptoms we really see depicted are things like paranoid delusions, um, disorganized thoughts, disorganized behavior, um, which again could be symptoms associated with a condition like bipolar disorder with psychotic features. Um, It could also be associated with other conditions like psychosis itself or a condition called schizoaffective disorder. So again, um, just wanted to point out that important piece of information because not everyone who has bipolar disorder will have psychotic symptoms, um, but that is possible, especially in more severe cases. I'm sure with... um, you know, future shows and uh, movies that we watch, hopefully we'll get to dive into uh, understanding what bipolar disorder really is. Um, But for now, I just wanted to add that little tidbit. All right. See you next time. (laughs) 
This podcast and its contents are a copyright of analyzed scripts, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited. Unless you want to share it with your friends and rate, review, and subscribe, that's fine. All stories and characters discussed are fictional in nature. No identification with actual persons, living or deceased, places, buildings, or products is intended or should be inferred. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The podcast and its contents do not constitute professional, mental health, or medical advice. Listeners might consider consulting a mental health provider if they need assistance with any mental health problems or concerns. As always, please call 911 or go directly to your nearest emergency room for any psychiatric emergencies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.